Hello, thanks for tuning in. I'm Tom Dobrez, the host of the Cool Radio Stories podcast, as well as the owner of Cool Radio Streaming. And just as a little preface to today's show, all I could say is, wow, uh, this show conversation with Gordon Burrell turned out more significant than I even thought. I've known Burrell, Gordon, for a few years, and I must say that every time I speak with him, I learn a great deal. Uh, he's so open with his thoughts and his information and at the end of this conversation, he has a really neat offer for uh, listeners, radio stations, something to take advantage of, just $750, and you'll get yourself an amazing specific market report that will go a long way to helping you figure out the future for your radio stations. So sit back, enjoy a, a one-of-a-kind life uh, conversation with Gordon Burrell. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Cool Radio Stories, a podcast for independent radio stations in small to medium-sized markets, presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now here's your host, Tom Dobrez. Well, we have a very special guest here on Cool Radio Stories today, Gordon Burrell, the CEO of Burrell Associates uh, Research Analysis uh, organization that has been helping local media, particularly uh, radio stations uh, throughout the country, working uh, with various uh, surveys and all of that, researching consumer behavior, business behavior primarily. And Gordon, we certainly welcome you to the show and we're very excited to hear what you have to say because I think right now uh, in these times you are and a very important part to the the whole radio industry. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me for uh, the cool radio streaming show. Cool, cool. Yeah, in, indeed. That's so great. So we are uh, typically we do have radio station uh, other owners, etc., talking about their products. But we thought, you know, these times cause for some very special. Uh, attention and conversations. Obviously, we're in the midst of the COVID nineteen crisis. We have uh, regional shutdowns, reopenings, businesses uh, starting to get back up to normal, and things like that. And I know you've done some really interesting. Uh, you've had some very interesting uh, social media content talking about this time. And I want to get to that, but let's back up just a second and hear about you specifically, Gordon. Uh, I always ask the question uh, about first jobs, and it seems in this industry you actually work for uh, newspapers. You're a reporter, is that right? Uh, my very first job was a newspaper carrier in Philadelphia. How about that? Oh, there you go. <laughs> in <laughs> Distribution, way, you're in distribution. Yeah, way, way back in the 1960s. Um, and then I was a college editor, I, I, I guess, I had a teacher in high school who said, hey, you're a pretty good writer. And that, that stuck with me. Um, I was editor of uh, the student newspaper in college. And then my first job was as a full-time reporter for a metro newspaper in Norfolk, Virginia. And the interesting thing about your background is, you know, you, you started as, like you say, well, the carrier, and then you went to the newspaper reporter. But you seem to grasp uh, the digital space pretty early in your career. Is that correct? Uh, well, I, I think so. And I'll tell you why. Um, because I had a computer and that was simply, that was it. I had a Tandy Radio Shack computer 
at home. And I don't know why I was just fascinated with, with gadgets. And the newsroom started a new position at this newspaper, which was basically audio. It was kind of radio, you know, programming over the telephone, something called audio text. If you way back in those days, this would be the 80s, early 90s, you could call into a central number, punch in on the touchstone phone, a four-digit code, and access a horoscope, a sports report, stock quote, joke of the day, things like that. And I became the program director, or you know, basically the radio guy, um, developing content that was you know somewhat out of the newspaper, but we did some creative content. Um, and, and, and so to demystify that, hey, I was in there early on, it was basically, hey, let's ask Gordon. He's got a computer. He knows this stuff. So I got into bulletin boards and AOL and CompuServe and audio text back in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and that just kind of snowballed into, well, Gordon knows this stuff. Let's, you know, so I think, you know, Tom, I, I kind of fell into it, but I also have kind of a natural penchant to sort of understand the flow of information and certainly the flow of revenue that supports that information. And that's why I'm where I am today. Right. And you are, uh, let's talk about where you are today. Uh, a couple of decades ago, actually the turn of the century, you established a company, Burrell and Associates. What was the initial mission of this, of the uh, company? Well, that's a, that is a great question. Thank you for the opportunity to answer that. I had studied, I have to go back before the company to do a little setup. Um, I, I, I had been elevated to the position of vice president of new media, understanding, you know, new technological developments for the dissemination of information digitally, mostly over the internet at Landmark Communications. It was a billion dollar company. We owned the weather channel. We owned the travel channel. We owned newspapers and TV and radio and autotrader.com. And one of the things that I noticed in all of this was that it was over for people, businesses, uh, media companies to get on the internet or get on AOL or get on CompuServe. And I just kept thinking, where the hell is the money to support all this? So we engaged a guy named Clay Christensen, who many people probably know. He's a Harvard professor. He coined the term disruptive technology and disruptive innovation. He wrote The Innovator's Dilemma. He died recently, earlier in uh, 2020. And he helped us really, really understand how difficult it would be to grasp a new opportunity, a technological disruption, as technology has disrupted newspapers, the flow of information in print, and radio, the flow of information over you know, a terrestrial radio signal, and television, and make enough money to support it. So at that point, before I started Burrell Associates, the vast majority of all these activities, most of, of, of which was like just pictures and, and print, it hadn't become multimedia just yet, was a marketing activity. And I saw that as ex an expense that actually eroded the core product. And so I thought, I'm going to create a company I'm sorry, this is such a long story, but it's fascinating to me. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> well, me too. I'm actually sitting here saying, "Wait, you talked to Clayton Christensen?" <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, a, a good friend. When I when I so I created the company, and I thought, you know, when there is a disruption, uh, it goes along for a long time, maybe three, four, five, six, maybe even ten years, 
just disrupting things, but it's not until there's an economic trigger that changes things rapidly. So I was waiting for an economic trigger, and I thought that would be the best time to start a business to help consult or show media companies what was going on. That economic trigger was the dot-com bubble burst in 2000. I started my business in April of 2001, and our first project was a applied research project with Harvard's Entrepreneurial Unit uh, with uh, Clay's protege, a guy named Clark Gilbert, good friend of mine. And so, so that's how the business started to show media companies what they really need to do is follow the money and not just dive into the digital toy chest and pull out, hey, you know, let's, let's try an app. Hey, let's stream stuff over our website. Yeah, okay, what's the business model? And you're going to fail because in disruptive technologies, disruptive innovation, incumbent businesses often do the wrong thing. So radio, for instance, will almost necessarily do the wrong thing when trying to track, tackle a disruption and make it its own. The wrong thing, just briefly, is they will sell a cheaper product that erodes their core product to their same advertisers. And that's not the right thing to do. Well, that is uh, opened a lot of doors there. There's a lot to unpack there. And thank you for taking me through that uh, thought process because it is so... Uh, you know, they say that history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes a lot. And it just seems like as, as terrible at times that these appear to be, there are also opportunities. And, and that is in part what you're bringing up. So do you consider the times right now, just to quickly jump ahead, and then we're going to back up on some of the other things you mentioned, and particularly uh, your comment about radio stations and what they can and shouldn't do. Do you consider today's uh the coronavirus crisis uh, pandemic here, a disruption or an accelerator, or are those the same things? Um, it's well in, in the realm of what I'm looking at, it's an accelerator. It's, and it, it's not the coronavirus. It's the resultant economic downturn. So we look at economic downturns as opportunities. If we look at them the right way, I guess you'd say. Um, but for the most part, people see, incumbent businesses, for instance, see economic downturns as a retrenchment period. And that's really the wrong way to look at it. There are companies out there, many of them, the one I used to work for, it was just amazing to me. When things were going along just fine, they didn't buy jack. They didn't do anything. It was just so frustrating. And then when there was a downturn, it was like, oh, hey, let's buy stuff. Let's not even ask the price. Let's go. Let's go. Fire sale. Buy this, buy that. It was, it was actually refreshing when you understood what was going on. So when you look at the pandemic uh, that we have and the resultant downturn, we're now officially in a recession, three consecutive months of decline in GDP, um, you see that there is an acceleration of some companies that kind of understand the opportunity and there is a deep retrenchment in others. You can go back, you know, if we're talking about advertising, Tom, um, you can go back and look at what happened during the Great Depression. And you have two, and this is a famous example. Many people will, will, will know this, have read it in marketing, a marketing 101 class. Back at that period, the new medium of the day, 1929, um, was, was radio. And post-serial was advertising principally in magazines. And they were the big 
cereal company, Post Toasties. Everybody's eating Post Toasties, right? Uh, the depression hits and Post Toasties did the predictable thing. They go, oh, wow, we need to cut back on, on advertising. You know, let's, let's pull way back. We need to, you know, tighten our belts here. The upstart company decided, you know, another cereal company decided, oh, hell no, we're going to utilize the new medium, advertise even more, double, triple your ad budget. Um, and they stole a phenomenal amount of market share and rapidly became in, came into the number one cereal, you know, sales position. And that was, of course, Kellogg's with Rice Krispies, right? So, you know, the, the, the understanding is that during a, a recession, an economic downturn, your competitors will be paralyzed. And this is really time to stand out, to make yourself known move forward and make noise. And that's, that's difficult to do because hell, you know, even me with all of this knowledge about, Hey, let's get active. And we did, we got active during the dot-com bubble burst. That's when we started the company. We got active in the great recession in 2008, 2009, we launched a major new product line at that time. And we got active during the start of the pandemic and launched something that tripled our sales. But it's really, I got to tell you, it's really, really difficult to do because it's a confusing and a difficult time. Well, in a, in a very intriguing uh, short video that you've posted on YouTube, we'll have a link to in the show notes. You call this all this time, all these things that are happening is the perfect storm. Why is that? Well, for local businesses, so kind of we're transitioning a bit now from, you know, talking about media companies and radio to local businesses that, by the way, represent pretty much 100% of the programming salaries and the music license fees and everything else. So it's local advertisers, not listeners. And that's going to be heresy to a lot of people. Local advertisers are the one that support radio. If radio doesn't help people sell shit, radio is not in existence. And you can say, well, if you don't have great programming, sure. But if you have great programming and you don't have advertisers, but vice versa, if you have advertisers and your programming sucks, what the hell? You're still making money, right? I'm sorry. Don't about it, but the perfect storm is about advertisers, those businesses that support radio, and by the way, all other media. The perfect storm was this, and I'll try to do it succinctly. There's a, I think, a three or four minute video we posted up on YouTube. I did it for advertisers. It's gotten pretty popular. Just uh, go to YouTube and search for local marketing storm. But but this is what's happened at the around this time last year. We saw something really, really interesting, and that was advertisers were beginning to overspend and not know that they were overspending and, and frankly, not know exactly what they were spending, but particularly overspend on digital. And so they became confused. They were, I think more than half of them, 60% or so, didn't know whether they were spending too much or too little. Um, 89% of them were advertising in social media, principally Facebook. We have never seen that percentage for any medium. Even the yellow pages, you know, at their height of their popularity, say in the 80s and 90s, when every business, it seemed, was advertising the yellow pages. Well, not really. It was never 89%. So here we have 89% of businesses advertising in one thing, social media. So that was crazy. And we also knew that social media was kind of an echo chamber, right? so it was dangerous. That is, 
when you advertise in social media, the advertisers don't really understand that it's targeted advertising. And when you get likes, they're from your customers. And it, you post something there and you're just advertising to your customers, to your customers, to your customers, to your customers. And your customer base is probably shrinking if you're not doing anything else. You know, it won't really, really grow unless you advertise outside of that one little circle, your own customers. The third thing that we saw was, um, and this is fascinating, we did a survey and we asked advertisers in that survey to tell us how much they were spending and managing all of this digital stuff. And they didn't know. So we knew that was going to happen. So we said, well, let us help you. Which of these things do you do? Social media management, reputation management, listings, claiming, website development. And I think there was one other. And so they checked the boxes that they did and they said, okay, now if you do you use a contractor on social media management, if so, how much do you spend? And then do you use staff, how many people and how many hours a week? And then we actually made the calculations across the board. Long story short, the average business spends $120,000. This is the end of last year, $120,000 between contract workers and internal workers managing digital stuff on average. They spend about $100,000 on advertising. So they were spending more just managing that stuff. And they don't know it. They, they all were just shocked at that amount. So the perfect storm was that all of these disparities were occurring at the end of last year before we even knew what COVID-19 was. And then the pandemic hit and boom, here was a perfect opportunity for them to make a mistake, either retrenching and not advertising, which would be a mistake during a pandemic because people still buy cereal, people still buy mulch, people still buy jewelry. And so your assumption is, oh, they're not buying that stuff, so I'm gonna retrench, wrong. The second thing is that they would begin advertising more because they thought, wow, this is a great time to stand out, but they would be completely out of sync with where they should be spending that money. That's the perfect storm that began occurring at the end of last year and then really got triggered with the pandemic. Well, and I think, of course, just to back up on that spend and management of social media and the various other digital uh, advertising opportunities, you could talk to some small businesses. And if you were a radio sales executive, account executive visiting them, they might tell you they're doing it because it's free, right? Or it's so low cost, or it's not costing me nearly as much as broadcast or print advertising in a local market. And here you're saying, but wait a minute, there's hours spent managing this. There's somebody has to create those posts. Somebody has to, those videos you're posting. Uh, and so that's very interesting that the, such a significant portion of a small business budget is actually going to the management through salaries and time spent, correct? Yeah, the, the, the fascinating, the really interesting thing to put it into perspective is that the deer have the guns, okay? The, the advertisers now have the medium at their disposal. Hell, they can do their own podcast and become a radio station. The radio folks will laugh at that, but the perception is, hey, I can I can create my own ad in a Word document or a PowerPoint or some type of you know PDF document. And I can push it out there, you know, in a banner ad on the internet. I can create audio, I can create video, somebody internally and on an iPhone. And you're exactly right, Tom. This costs a lot of money. What they're doing, think about this, is they're becoming a media company 
they and, and a media company requires that you have people who develop content. The newsroom might have 30 people at a newspaper and they're, you know, reporters and headline writers who are developing content. A programming staff at a radio station might have a PD and, you know, a half a dozen announcers, right? And, and, and people who voice commercials and they're producing content, you know, TV station, et cetera, et cetera. So now these businesses have unwittingly taken on the task of having their own newsroom. What is Twitter other than a headline, right? So they're learning headlines. You know, and they're learning how to shoot videos and they're learning how to do audio and, and stuff like that. It's all pretty crappy if they do it internally, unless they're a really big company and they're hiring professionals in. This, I think, is media's opportunity to understand that and say, look, you're a plumber, you're a florist, you're a restaurateur, you know how to cook food, you know how to arrange flowers, you know how to fix leaks. You're not great at marketing and you really don't want to get this wrong. You know, if one, one gaffe in Facebook you know, can, can really hurt, damage your business or, you know, being stupid about it and sending the wrong types of emails with the wrong subject line or trying to be funny is really going to screw you up. We're media companies. We know marketing. We know messaging. Let us handle that for you. That's the way I think that's, that, that really resonates with businesses. Well, and that's really what we promote here and many of the conversations we've had with other radio station owners across the country has been that they're establishing themselves to, as a media company. So the broadcaster needs to understand that these elements are out there. They're very real and you have to be able to understand them, you know, how the social media platforms work and then be prepared to become that local advertising uh, expert for your uh, clientele. And I think that's where your product in particular is, is very interesting because you promote the idea of, you know, where are small, small businesses, medium-sized businesses spending their money and how are they doing that? And therefore it gives businesses, radio stations can look at your reports and say, well, there's only 3%, 5% going towards radio, but here, look at this other piece of the pie that's 25, 30%. I'm making these numbers up and you can correct me on them, going towards these other media opportunities. And I think every time people are just stunned by your reports when they see just how much Google is taking out of the local market. But it's important for radio stations to understand, I believe, that there is this much bigger pool of time, energy, and money being spent in other media, and the radio stations have to present themselves as a resource to the local businesses to get some of that money. You know, it's the old adage of why did Bonnie and Clyde rob banks? It's, well, that's where the money was. So to me, when it comes to digital strategy, getting into digital, if you're going to be a successful operator in a, in a radio market, you best get there sooner rather than later. And your reports are excellent at really emphasizing what kind of money can be had uh, by getting involved. Let me amplify on that if you don't mind. Here's the problem, and I'm going to get critical. You will find a lot of radio managers that will um, react in a, in a basically negative way. And what they'll say is, oh, yeah, I've seen those numbers. Those numbers that Burrell puts out that says how much is spent in each market, and it's, what, 60% of all local advertising. But almost all that goes to Google and, and to Facebook and the amount available to radio is just, is just so small. Wrong. 
That's wrong, by the way. Um, and they're not the advertisers that we want. These are the small, the SMBs that might spend, you know, 500, you know, $1,000 a month. And we really don't want those clients. And the reach, you know, of some of that is really small. The reach of radio is broad. 97% of people listen to radio once a week. False. So, so they've got these wrong assumptions and it's natural. It's not that they're stupid. It's that the entire industry and their own business has built a business model that supports that attitude. It supports, we are going to compensate you very nicely if you sell radio. And digital is a bit of a diversion and it's a smaller amount. It's only on average 15% of our total advertising revenue. So it's just a little piddly thing. Uh, but we do want you to sell that. So please sell that. That's, that's the attitude. What they need to do, and here's the really critical thing, is realize that they are in a position that the newspaper industry was in right around 2000, 2001. The newspaper industry was arrogant. They believed that their product was bigger and better. They believed that online classified advertising was so inferior that they launched a campaign that said bona fide classifieds. Unless the ad appears in print, it's not a bona fide classified. So cars.com sucks. Uh, um, uh, Monsters, you know, employment ads suck. Craigslist ads suck, but only ours. So this arrogance just exuded them. Now listen to this, and this is what's going to happen to the radio industry if it really, really doesn't wake up and start realizing that, you know, over-the-air type radio listening is really in, in trouble. It's really hard to say that. You don't want to say that, especially if you're a public company. Most of the audience here is not public companies, so you should take heart in this. What happened to the newspaper industry is they lost $14 billion in the course of four years. $14 billion. The radio industry itself is not that big. The paper industry went from $50 billion to thirty. $36 billion in four years because it failed to see the opportunity and prepare and understand the opportunity in online classifieds. Here we have, Tom, and I'm sorry I'm railing about this, but I'll give me one more minute. Now we have the, uh, you know, I guess it's the, 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 the specter, the, uh, the Grim Reaper of 5G coming within probably about three years before it starts to hit critical mass with great, great distribution, very high quality distribution of audio and particularly video. And that could dramatically change things. That could be the, the same, that could represent the same death knell that online classifieds represented for the newspaper industry. This could represent a death knell for, for radio. It's, it's very troubling if radio is going to tackle this in a very cramming phenomenon way. And that is, oh, I know what 5G is. It's just a different distribution method for my radio programming. That's what the newspaper industry thought about its classifieds. It just put its classifieds online on its own websites. It didn't realize there was a much larger opportunity that integrated with the device. At that time, it was a PC. Now it's a smartphone. And that smartphone for radio represents not only listening distribution at a, at a much higher quality rate, and these devices will be all 5G enabled, and oh, this is just going to be incredible, but it also allows for e-commerce. It knows where you are. I mean, there's just so many different interactive things 
it's going to allow for a very new dynamic new product that could devastate radio listening. Unless radio creates now the products. And let's talk about that. So first off, uh, at the beginning of the show, you said that a lot of media companies during times like this do the wrong thing. And that being they sell a cheaper product. So they downgrade the value of their current product and just say, well, every business is hurting. So we just need to give them a super cheap, a cheaper way of buying our product. And that creates this downward spiral, of course, and on rates, etc. So the question is, what should radio be doing? Well, in, in, in larger uh, companies like you know, iHeart or, or, or Cumulus or perhaps even Alpha Media, though they're in really small markets, um, in Intercom, they have the opportunity to try to recreate a new product. The way that it would fail is if they did it with existing radio managers. They have to be, it has to be a completely new product, a completely separate uh, venture. And I'll get to the smaller markets in a moment because there's probably a very, very different strategy there. But the larger entities, what would really work is the example I always give is that if you're hiring a digital manager to, to try to understand and tackle this new digital opportunity and build something exactly to the specs of what the market wants, you put all of your assets out on a desk. So all of your radio assets are out there. You're the manager and you're sitting on one side of the desk. And on the other side is the new guy who is going to handle the digital stuff for you and develop a completely new product. So you say, here's all my assets. Here's my brand. And people love this brand. And here's my capital. Mm, that's a lot of money. And here's my programming. We put a lot of thought into this adult contemporary format and these other formats over here. And here's my staff, my salespeople and my, my marketing staff. And they're really, really good. Here's the big difference. The manager who really understands what they're doing says exactly this. Which of these do you want? The manager who doesn't understand what they're doing says, take this, develop my brand, use this much capital, uh, use these stale staff. You can't hire anybody else. Leverage them out of that. That's, that's wrong. So if you lay all of those assets out and say, which do you want? The digital manager, if the charge is to build something to the exact specs of, say, 5G, and develop a new business. And by the way, it's got to be related to our business because you know that's what we're doing here. Then they're going to develop, I think, a very successful product. So I'll go way back to give you an example, and then I'll, then I'll go to the uh, what small markets can do. Um, an example would be a hundred years ago when blacksmiths were faced with their own dilemma, and that is their customers were driving by in cars, honking their horns and waving, right? So they're going, shit, I just can't chew horses anymore. My business is going down. So, you know, if they hired a new person in to tackle this new phenomenon, what they would do is say, look, here's an anvil. Here's a sledgehammer. Here's my, you know, <laughs> everything, you know, everything I've got, you know, horseshoes. Here's, you know, here's this and that. Which of these do you need to develop the new business for these people driving automobiles? What do you think the guy would say? None of them. The way we need to do this, if you truly want to serve the transportation needs of this community, is to put up gas pumps and to train 
some of these blacksmiths, and I'm not sure they could get it, but hell, if they need to put food on the table, they'll figure it out, train them how to fix gasoline engines. And then maybe we could possibly also sell some cars. So by the way, the only thing I really need is the shop. I need a location. I need the barn. You know, that's it. Radio is probably not going to do that. They're going to force their programming. They're going to force their brands. They're going to force everything down. That's a cramming phenomenon. 30 seconds on small businesses, small uh, radio stations and small radio station groups. Really difficult for them to create a completely new business using 5G. I think they have to form a committee of some sort or a group of smart people. Um, Some of them, maybe not existing radio managers to understand and sort of strategize what the opportunities are. You've got about another six months before you really need to form that team and three years before something critical actually happens. So there's time. I think, Tom, the more critical thing is understanding this phenomenon that your customers, just like the blacksmith saw, are developing their own marketing expertise, and you need to serve that. Your job in radio, and this is going to be a heresy to program directors, your job in radio, if you want to survive, is to help people sell things. That's it. So you'll help them sell things through helping them configure you know, a wonderful 30-second spot right? That's great. Audio spot. Uh, But there are many more, you know, tools that that you have, uh, many more arrows in your quiver that you can help them with their search advertising. You can help them with help podcasting. If they want to do that, you can help them with video. You can help them place banners. There's so many other things you have to do. I think you have to rapidly morph your sales staff into being marketing experts and helping them with all the facets. And then you've got this strong asset in radio, which is a mass medium, which is the differentiator from anybody else in the market that's going to sell, you know, banner ads and programmatic and and things like that. You're the differentiator. That's really important to have. And then you have to understand what 5G represents in terms of kind of magnifying your ability to be a differentiator. So the business models that radio stations, uh, you know, oftentimes they rely on was we were the first social media. Okay. But you don't want to be the social media that platform that everybody has left. So it's really about amplifying an existing relationship you have with your audience, but just really being more uh, respectful of what businesses uh, can do a on their own. um, And also with, but at this particular moment in time, the businesses need that help getting there. Eventually they'll get there and it's either going to be, Uh, It seems like that's what you're saying, that eventually these businesses are going to figure it out on their own if they haven't already and leave radio behind. Um, And so is that the opportunity as you see it on Main Street? Yeah, I think you have to look at the audience that you've developed. You know, you you may want to just create something completely and totally new that's only barely related to, to radio and your audiences. But that's uncomfortable and difficult and maybe even expensive. So I think the first thing to do, if I were, I often think, okay, what would I would, do, what would I do if I were the GM or the or the owner? You know, that's difficult because as a consultant, I can spout out all kinds of really smart things, and then I get to go home, and everybody else has to implement all the crap that I just said. So when I put myself in a mindset of a GM, here's what I think I would do: I would say, okay, I have a country music station. I have a a, a religious broadcasting station. I have an adult contemporary. So let's do something that will develop 
and expand that country music audience because I have advertisers that really want to reach that audience, you know, Western boots store, um, you know, or certain types of uh, uh, restaurants or, or, or bars or clothing outlets or things like that. They really want to reach that particular audience. So how do I become a number one in country music listening in this market, in this geographically defined area? How do I become even bigger than that? How do I, you know, how many emails do I have of country music, people who love country music? You know, it's a certainly, certainly a very defined demographic or people who love, you know, Christian radio, inspirational radio or whatever formats you have. How do I develop those into a much larger listener base and people that I can contact directly, either through email or maybe through a social media channel? So there are all of these opportunities now to branch out beyond audio while your radio listening audience gets chipped away by all of these other opportunities, whether it's satellite radio or Pandora or, um, you know, any type of streaming on the internet or any other type of stuff, all these OTT programs that divert people's attention from whatever they might be listening to, to a music, you know, venue, award show or whatever on TV. So how do you do that? How do you develop, define and develop the audience and actually grow it? And I think that's the opportunity if I were a GM saying, oh, okay, so I've got an FM license and an AM license. That's one thing. And I've developed a very strong audience in this smaller rural niche or a smaller market, not Atlanta, not Miami, et cetera. Um, and I've got you know, basically four or five different formats. That's great. Now, how do I database that? How do I get those listeners into a database of email addresses or followers on a social media channel? You know, how do I begin to collect all of these things together? And by the way, maybe podcasting is an opportunity. Hell, it's just a recorded radio program. That's all it is. Um, and maybe you should be thinking about video. There are lots of markets, Jackson Hole, Wyoming you know, doesn't get served by the big TV stations because it's too far away from the core TV markets. So maybe there's an opportunity to start actually a TV station about Jackson Hole. <laughs> so, and you do it in OTT. You don't need the full studio and everything else. You don't need the program 24 hours. You don't need an FCC license. These are all ideas I think radio should be looking at. They have these new channels available to them. They also have the ability to finally know who is actually listening or basically get the contact information of people in the market. And so you got to be looking at things in a much broader sense. One more thing, and I'll repeat it. Think like the blacksmiths did. And that is you're not in the business of shoeing horses and fixing carriages. You're in the business of serving the transportation of your community which again, allowed them to put up gas pumps, you know, think differently and, and figure out how to fix gasoline engines. So what are you in the business of? Not, I'm gonna leave that as rhetorical. What, what are you in the business of? If you're in the business of, uh, you know, delivering quality audio programming over a terrestrial, you know, broadcast signal, God bless you. I don't think that's a growth business, but you have all these other opportunities available to you. So. What are you in the business of? I think you really need to ask yourself that question. 
Well, and I think that was the question that you know, newspapers missed. And as you suggested at the beginning of the conversation, that it's one that maybe radio station needs to make sure they're listening to so that they can adapt. Uh, I tell the story of a few years ago going to one of the radio conferences. Uh, I think it was an NAB radio show and walking into the exhibit hall. And there uh, the biggest could be was Google. And um, I said to myself, what is Google doing at a radio conference? And it occurred to me later that what Google was after was our audience. You know, what radio stations, who they talk to every single day, the connections that radio stations have built over all these years through the programming, through the being local, through connecting. And now, though, that audience is can be reached by a variety of different ways, and therefore, uh, perhaps radio is losing their grip on that. But right now, it sounds like you're saying radio still has that leg up. They're still the primary, you know, they're the blacksmith on the corner of Main and First that is still attracting the majority of people, but they need to wise up because the audience is starting to get distracted, going in different directions. And so I point to uh, the rest Virginia radio corporation as a great role model. Not sure if, um, Gordon, if you're familiar with them, but they have taken every step you just mentioned uh, radio station ownership that has expanded um, into radio networking, but beyond that, into video production. And now the full video company, it started as just a guy and a camera, um, but they were so successful in producing video for their clients, everything from corporate training to actual commercials, uh, their podcasting business as well. Um, and they've got social media components and in, in are really the leading digital or I should say uh, marketing expert in their small towns. But it's an all-encompassing uh, small market product and they have become a true media company and even slash advertising agency. And it seems like that is really where the opportunities to, to for radio is you've got a we've got a slight lead right now it's been getting smaller and smaller but here's a way to accelerate to get into to keep in first yeah i'm very familiar with west virginia and it's a great example for people to uh, to study dale miller has done a, a great job as, as ceo of that at that company and others as well he's got a very supportive staff I, and they they do have an agency they have an actual ad agency. If you go there, it doesn't look like a radio building at all. It looks like an ad agency. They're a place where they meet class. Very modern. You go down in the basement, they have a full setup of TV monitors where they're doing television shows. Now, it's a little bit of a, of a different opportunity for them because West Virginia is such a weird stand, damn state, you know? Everything <laughs> is kind of enclosed. It's like the rest of the world doesn't exist. Only West Virginia University and high school sports, and they've developed networks, you know, around that, and they've just done such a fantastic job to the point at which they compete very handily with with TV um, in in each of the markets that where they have stations, and they're across the state. And they also own, I believe, two newspapers uh, in in that state. But that is a, a fantastic example. What you will find. If you go visit West Virginia Radio Corporation, 
or any of these others that we would deem to be successful. And we have a huge database of over 10,000 local media companies where we track their digital revenues. And when we say someone's successful, it's not because they're doing cool things. It's because we can look at the database and see what share of the market they are getting. And there are clear, we sort it by largest share. This is digital advertising. And we can sort it and see. So we see these companies that are really, really successful. But I got to tell you, if you go to them, it's not like, oh, my God, they're making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on this and the margins are really high. There are many reasons, you know, that you might want to walk away if you go visit these companies because success isn't defined as they're making gobs of money and they really have the formula. Success is they're finding a way to grow faster than everybody else. They've positioned themselves very, very well, and they've created a new business. And these new businesses often take many, many years really to develop before they're very big. Hell, you may have gotten into television back in the late 40s or early 50s. And if you did, you, even though it was the new medium and we think, oh, my God, television, 40 percent profit margins. Well, for about 10, 12 years. Television was hemorrhaging money back in most of the 50s and, and at least half of the 60s. They were hemorrhaging money. It takes a long time to develop these things and then wind up with a business that is really, really viable. But yeah, West Virginia Radio Corp, very good company to study. Yeah, indeed. And so who are some of those others out there that you think are uh, kind of have taken uh, the lead and, and are getting it right now? Um, well, like I said, we know because we have a database. So our, our definition of successful is they're just doing really well and growing their digital revenues and increasing their overall market share. So while the radio revenues may, you know, be flat or they might even grow the radio revenues, overall radio share is declining, but they're making up a significant portion of that, or maybe even growing overall as a company on the, on the radio side. I think if you look, you know, on the large scale town square, absolutely. They've said it publicly. So there's no secret um, that they have a phenomenal market share and they cite our data because we do benchmarking for the industry and they've, and they've allowed us to cite theirs. They have very significant market share um, in many of the markets they're in. They also happen to be in very small markets, which is kind of easier to get market share there. Cox, which is private. They own TV and radio combined, which is part of their secret formula, TV and radio in an individual market. Um, but they're very, very sharp uh, operators, and they created Cox Radio Interactive very, very early on, before many radio stations really believed in the internet. This is you know, 15 years ago, let's say. Um, so they had an early foot in it. I, I think you ought to look at Midwest Family Broadcasting. They've started early, but they also kind of re-energized in the past uh, couple of years. And they've done some interesting things. They have their own agency. It's operated independently. You know, each of, each of the markets um, operates different. So there's not one over, overall corporation that tells everybody what to do. And I think that's, a, that's kind of a, a secret as well. Advi rely on the relationships of everybody kind of in the family but then adapt to your own individual market, you know, what you really want to do. And so just cramming down one overall strategy to every single, every single market. I think you have to look also, I'll just finally say, and I'm sure there are others. So if I didn't mention you and, 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 and you think I should I apologize, but there are many others. One other I'll mention is Beasley. 
Um, Beasley kind of got it and understood it when it acquired uh, Greater Media because Greater Media had so many uh, digital assets in Boston and Philly and Detroit. And then recently, about a year and a half ago, it's about a year ago, I guess, they hired a guy named Todd Handy. Todd has no radio experience or very little. Um, he comes out of several different industries and he's their chief digital officer. And he really, really understands digital and is helping transform that company in a, in a very uh, dynamic and, and different way. And so I have great, great expectations for, for Beasley and what they're going to be able to do with, uh, with their digital operations. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, the one thing that Gordon, you bring to the party, and this is why, you know, the conversations I have with you, uh, my, they always make my head spin <laughs> because of your insight, but you're not just making this up. You're data driven. And that's what I think is the big difference. You are asking these small businesses, you're looking at these radio stations and seeing not just the trends, but what is the real truth out there, uh, you know, in the, the in the pudding, as they say, right? So uh, just a, a brief little spiel on Borel and Associates, if you will, what's your primary product and how do radio stations use your product? Sure. I, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that we, we are not making this stuff up because people <laughs> think we, we are, but I challenge everybody in the company, don't say anything unless you have three facts to, to back it up. Um, and so we are a research company at heart. Um, the, the one thing that we do that I think is so important, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast was we follow the money. There are lots of new things. The internet's a giant toy chest of crap that you can reach into and go, well, let's play with this today. Right. Um, but you got to understand you're in this to make money. You know, you, you got your owners expect you to make money. So it's not a cool marketing thing or something to, you know, just, expand or, or have some nice warm fuzzy thing for your existing audience you know, find ways to make money so what we do is we i hope you're sitting down because this is one of those things you just aren't going to really believe we track every single dime by every single business spent in every single market all 3,100 counties cities and parishes across the u.s and we track where it goes from a various source various sources it's estimated it's not actual but it's pretty damn close because it's based on real records, which is IRS tax data. Everybody reports what they spend on advertising uh, to the IRS. Plus, we run the largest survey of local advertisers in the country. And so we know where that money goes. And we're constantly, every single month, pinging advertisers. So what we do, Tom, is we help people get real about what is spent in their market and what is available by giving them access to our, our data of advertising in their marketplace and then training them how to use it. You can use it for strategic purposes, but more importantly for tactical purposes, actually to provide clarity to the advertiser to help make a sale. It's really, really cool how we do that. The main thing I will tell you about that data is when we show it to people, they don't believe it because they do not believe there is that much money spent in their markets. It is a phenomenal amount of money. They keep going after a small slice. It's roughly in radio, maybe three to 5% of all the ad dollars in the market. And that's all they, I just want to hit them upside of the head with a dumb bat, right? Hit them upside the head with a bag of nickels, whatever you want to say. I'm just tired of these managers going, oh yeah, but 
oh, that goes to Google and that's TVs and that's root. No, it's all in play. And you have the right to go after this, this money. And there's so much more than your sales reps are getting. It's, it's phenomenal. So that's what we do. We help them really understand that this is actually an exciting time. There's way more money out there than you, than you actually are realizing. And if you continue to use Miller Kaplan, you continue to use Cantar, and they're both good sources, but use them exclusively to find leads then you're on a rat wheel and that rat wheel is, you know, is going faster and faster and you're eventually going to have a heart attack and drop dead. Much more money. Like I said, 95% of the spending in your marketplace is not within the radio industry and you have rights to hell 1%, 2%, 3% of it. It's a lot of money. Well, I will say I'm one of those that have been hit by that big two by four that you swing Gordon. Uh, I was, uh, fortunately, uh, you and I uh, had first had a chance to sit down and talk uh, in the small radio market that I owned a station in. And actually the newspaper had brought you into town and uh, we were, you were kind enough to share with me some of the information on the local market. And I was literally blown away. And I was one of the individuals that thought he knew everything about digital media too, coming from a radio station. Oh, I studied this and I, my, radio stations were leading the market in a presence on social media. And yet when you presented what our little town, how much money was being spent on Google, on those social media opportunities, I was just absolutely blown away. I was floored. I had been focused on the wrong competitor, the newspaper. I was focused on the wrong elements of uh, what the opportunities were at the time. And you came uh, to our market with really hardcore actual data uh, based on you know the research and real numbers, and it was eye opening. And and I think that's kind of the message that anybody that sits and visits with you looks at your products. That's what they get is this much larger look at the whole global, even within your small market, that global opportunity of what's there. And so I think what you're doing is very important and vital for radio stations future. One of the cool things that we do just to illustrate, and we have to be really careful because I can come on like a a steamroller and and I'm sorry, I hit, if I hit you in the head with a two by four, (laughs) it was a good thing. It was a good thing. It was more of a wake up. Like you said at the very beginning, my usual method is I think I said a bag of nickels. I'd like to hit people in the head with a bag of nickels. Uh, It's a little blunt and it might not knock you out. So the the thing that we do, because we have to be careful because people aren't stupid. You know, and you, you sometimes kind of portray them as stupid when you're trying to shock them to kind of wake them up. But the thing we do is, and this is such a great example, you say, tell us in your market the top three types of advertising that you find on, on billboards, on out of home. What are the top three types? And they'll often get one right and the other two wrong, or maybe all three wrong. And we, and, and so they said, well, how can that be? We thought it was personal injury attorneys and hospitals and insurance. And, you know, winds up being no. And they said, well, how is that? And we said, well, tell me the number of roads that you drive or the, the percentage of all roads in your market that you drive on. And it's usually 2%. You know, they don't know, but we'll, we'll tell them. Usually about 2% of the roads in the market. And not all the roads have signage on them, but they're going through, they're going past a very limited 
amount of signage that they see. And so we say, okay, you're basing your experience on, on only on what you see because you don't have the outdoor advertising data or numbers. Nobody does it except us. And so you can apply that to radio. Okay, who are the big advertisers in radio? Well, you're going to apply it to your stations and maybe what you hear on other stations and maybe the Cantar data. And who are the big advertisers in newspapers? How about direct mail? They won't know. How about online? Where are the big advertisers in online? So my point is that most sales reps have a perception based on what they see. And when we say to them, how many HVAC dealers, we actually do this, how many HVAC dealers are in Madison, Wisconsin? And they'll go, I, I don't know, um, maybe 15. And we'll say, there's 88. <laughs> it's in our data. We have it. There's 88. And let's say half of them don't advertise at all. Well, there's 44. You know, and don't you think they're all jealous of the ones that are doing some of the bigger advertising? You know, go get them. Same thing, you know, with hospitals. There's usually more than they actually realize, believe it or not. Uh, doctors, uh, uh, home improvement companies. So once you open their eyes to the size of the opportunity and what limits them to only seeing a certain portion of it, like I said, if you're looking at that Miller-Kaplan data and trying to live off of that, which we know a lot of the larger markets really are, wow, man, that's that's meager. You're eating birdseed. That's not good. Well, you're right. I always looked at those surveys as, okay, here is the very small slice of pie that radio is getting, and I'm getting an even thinner slice of that pie, whereas yours is a view of the whole pie, what is happening in all media, particularly digital, uh, which I think you're leading the game on. So uh, radio stations that have been listening, very intrigued. Uh, how did they get a hold of you, Gordon? Sure, just shoot an, a, us an email, uh, info at com, or you can email me, Gordon at BorrellAssociates.com, B-O-R-R-E-L-L. We have a great opportunity for folks coming up in um, uh, now, in late August and September and October, uh, to participate in our annual local advertiser survey. It's the largest in the, in the country. I think it's $750 per market. It's, it's cheap, turnkey. So we survey your advertisers in the market, and then we provide you the results and actually the analysis. Typically, one of us, maybe me, will get on the phone and say, here's what we're seeing. Here's what you think you should do. And here's how you can turn this material into uh, into sales and marketing material that will really work for you. It's really cool. Um, and so shoot us an email. We'd be happy to tell you a bit more about the survey and how you can participate. It's a very simple way to kind of get involved with us. We do a whole lot of other things that could be very helpful as well. But thanks for that uh, opportunity, Tom. Right. So that, that's really interesting. So that's almost like a, a real quick uh, opportunity to get that analysis done of your market and then not just here's what's happening, but there's also some consultant type of information that you provide. So here's where the real opportunity is going forward. Yeah. And it, it also you know helps you understand what your advertisers are actually doing because your sales reps or sales managers you know might doubt something and well, they might be right. Uh, but there'll be proof. There's proof. And then you hear what your advertisers are actually saying. I mean, there they are. And they're just and they're just laying it out. Here's what I would buy. Here's what I need. Here's why I buy Facebook. Here's what would make me buy more radio advertising. You know, and it's just especially good to get that tuning fork right now because things have changed in advertisers' minds. And we delayed the survey. We usually help hold it from April to June. And so we push it back to the fall. We're launching it, like I said, I think right now it's being launched mid, uh, mid to late August. 
Great. Well, uh, we will have show links uh, to how to get a hold of Gordon, as well as a link to the YouTube video mentioned earlier, The Perfect Storm. Uh, Gordon, you continued, in, in my personal opinion, to be a vitally important uh, individual in the entire radio industry. And people need to be paying attention to what you're doing um, and how you're doing it, because uh, we don't want to be the blacksmiths and uh, to be left behind. So once again, thank you so much for sharing your cool radio story, if you will, with us today. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. A true pleasure. Thank you. Well, now it all is up to you. Uh, so please, by all means, uh, reach out to Burrell & Associates. It's a small fee, $750. Get yourself a very intense local market survey. Um, once again, we have links to that in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this show. I just thought it was very important. Uh, originally, we were not going to air this for a couple of weeks. I decided it needed to be accelerated and brought uh, up to your attention. So thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. Any of your streaming needs, go to Cool Radio Streaming. I'm Tom Dobrez. Thanks for listening to Cool Radio Stories. You've been listening to Cool Radio Stories, a production of Cool Radio Streaming. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit CoolRadioStories.com and subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.